You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Our worship team did a really good job this morning. What do you think? Yeah, I felt like the Lord was happy with that. Yes, that's great. I have um, a psalm I want us to pray together. It's on the overhead. Do you see it up there? Not yet? That's okay. Okay, why don't um, why don't we stand together? Except for me. <laughs> I'm comfortable and <laughs> yeah, I want this to be a prayer. Tell you what, to make it more legit, read it silently before we read it together so you know what you're praying, right? And sort of lock down on that, let it work on you. When you're through, bring me a $5 bill. Oh, I'm just kidding, come on. Everybody good? Larry, I know you're a little slow, but are you done? <laughs> okay, let's read this together. Of course, Larry's probably the smartest guy in the room, so he'd take What did you make on your college boards, Larry? Never mind, I'll explain it. <laughs> Lip. Now, when you read things together and out loud, it means your mouth moves and sound comes out. Those are characteristics of doing this together, okay? The count of eight. No, okay, eight. Let the sunrise of your love end our dark night. Break through our clouded dawn again. Only you can satisfy our hearts, filling us with songs of joy to the end of our days. We've been overwhelmed with grief. Come now and overwhelm us with gladness. Replace our years of trouble with decades of delight. That's good. Years for decades. Let us see your miracles again and let the rising generation see the glorious wonders you're famous for. O Lord, our God, let your sweet beauty rest upon us and give us favor. Let's say give us favor one more time. Give us favor. Come work with us. Then our works will endure and give us success in all we do. Okay. You can be seated. That was good. That's a prayer out of uh, Psalm 90. That's in the Passion Translation. So I'm preaching this morning on goodness as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And... The scripture tells us that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. When we see God accurately, our lives change. Simply put, the better we know Jesus, the more of his fruit we will experience. Really, the more of him we'll experience. And so here's a, here's a principle. We, we reflect what we see. We experience and impart what we receive or what we pay attention to. So Paul prayed for us because he knew this was true. In Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, 
He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and here it comes, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding, that means the eyes of your heart, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory, that's his goodness, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul prayed that God may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How many of you pray that? That's a key to knowing the Lord better, is praying what Paul prayed, that he would, God would give us the spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prayed that the eyes of our hearts would become enlightened, that we might see the riches of his goodness or the riches of his glory. So why did Paul pray that? And I'm going to be a really, little bit redundant today. But if you say the same thing four times, you get it once, maybe. It's just the way it works. But, you know, we're just inundated with info, right? So I've got to over-inundate you for this info. Paul knew our understanding about God affects every aspect of our lives. If you don't perceive or you don't see God's goodness, you can't fully express or experience his goodness. In the spiritual sense, we really are like mirrors. We reflect what we look at. Um, the Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3, 2. I just love this. Thank you, Lord, for these scriptures. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. So the more we see him accurately, the more we become like him. We see him as he is. So one of the things I want to do, I'm going to go into some Old Testament verses here, and I might talk a little bit about types or shadows and what an Old Testament type is. It's a picture of something um, in the New Testament. But the, the great thing is this is Exodus 33, and um, without any coordination on my part with David Valier, he sang Exodus 33. We all sang Exodus 33 this morning. Show me your face, Lord. Um, so I want us to look at this. And so I am not going to expect you to read it, but I'm going to read about 12 verses and then um, maybe look at four of them. So turn on your phone. Is it on the, is it on the screen there? Isn't that amazing? I just... Hope that's up there and boom. Everybody say boom. Boom. See, you felt it, right? Okay. Moses said to the Lord, look, you yourself have been telling me, lead this people up. 
but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. One idea in verse 12 there is Moses did not want to do what he was doing by himself. Who will you send with me? In verse 13, so now, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways so that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider that this nation is your people. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said to him, if your presence is not going to go with me, do not send us up from here. After all, how would people know that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Isn't it in this way that you go with us so that we are distinguished, I and your people, from all the people who are on the face of the earth? And so Moses makes the point here that having the presence of God in your life in a way that other people notice is, I don't know if it's the, but it's at least a, distinguishing mark of knowing the Lord. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have said, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I was talking to a gentleman recently, and he's a Vietnam vet, pretty rough character, good guy. I really like him. Doesn't really follow the Lord. And he said to me, is there hope for me? And I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, there's hope for you. I said, David was a murderer and an adulterer. Moses was a murderer and a liar, argued with God, doubted his calling. Yeah, yeah, there's hope for you. And his friend said, I don't want to talk about these things right now. So that sort of ended the conversation. But... I think heaven was sneaking in on us. So So Moses said, verse 18, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness. So here's, here's bringing us back to what we're talking about today. I will make all my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord in your presence. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Now, depending on what kind of person you are, you read those verses and think, yeah, some people God wants to leave out. But I really think the essence of those verses is, yeah, there are a lot of people God wants to include. You know, it depends on what kind of person you are as to what you read sometimes. I don't, I don't mean what kind of person, but how you think or how you feel. Or, you know. So verse 20, the Lord said, You cannot see my face, for no human may see me and live. We're going to talk about that. The Lord also said, Look, there's a place next to me where you shall stand. Where is he going to stand? On the rock. Uh, Jesus often talked about as the rock. On this rock I'll build my church, it says in Matthew. Talking about who Jesus is, the revelation of Jesus. 
22, it will happen that while my glory passes by, I will put you in a crevice. So that's a broken place in the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back. But my face will not be seen. Read verse 23 with me here. Then I will take away my hand. Never mind. And you will see my back. But my face will not be seen. So there is a whole lot in there. And I cut two pages of response out of it and um, summarized. So here's what we see. Five things. Moses experienced and valued God's favor. Moses depended on experiencing God's tangible presence to enable him to do what God was asking him to do, lead two million rebellious former slaves. That's a pretty big order. Moses did not want to do it alone. And the thing that struck me is, you know, God in and of himself is a community of three. So God himself is a community. And I think um, and if you see, look through this portion of Scripture, Moses starts out saying, I want your favor, I want your presence. And then he says, I want your people to have your favor and your people to have your presence. And that shows you that you are not truly spiritual until even if you're hungry, hungry, hungry for God, you're not, I don't, you're truly spiritual, but you're not mature until you want other people to have what you found. And so you should ask yourself, who have I invited to church lately? I mean, you come. Why shouldn't somebody else come, right? That's, that's reasonable. But Moses didn't want to do it alone. He wanted all of Israel to experience his presence. And Moses himself wanted to know the Lord better and more. That brings us down there to, to verse 18, where Moses beseeches the Lord, show me your glory. So Moses knew there was more to knowing the Lord than even he had already experienced. He wanted to know him. Hunger is one of the defining characteristics of people who know the Lord in profound ways. Paul the Apostle's heart cry was what? that I might know him. I rem remember Paul's statement that I might know him. And, and Christianity is tricky. You can know the church. You can know the Bible. You can know creeds. You can know doctrines. You can have opinions. But that's not the same thing as knowing Jesus, knowing him. And I really uh, enjoy the emphasis we place on Jesus on the person of Jesus that we experience by the power of the Spirit. But Paul said that I might know him. I heard this guy. It was pretty comical. He was talking about the thief on the cross. Uh, who knows who greets you when you go to heaven? I don't know. St. Peter, probably not. Who knows? But so the thief on the cross dies and he shows up in heaven. And they're looking at him. They're saying, how'd you get here? Thief on the cross. He said, I don't know. They say, you know, 
10 minutes ago, you and another guy were cussing out Jesus. How did you get here? He said, I don't even know where here is. <laughs> he was adept. And uh, he said, all I know is he told me I could come. Now, what he meant was he met him. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That one little simple expression identified the fact that he had met Jesus and had embraced Jesus. He wasn't good with the Apostles' Creed. Never had read the Pentateuch. But he met him. He met him. So here's what the Lord says to Moses when he says, show me your glory. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord and I'll be gracious. Then he said, you cannot see my face for no human may see me and live. And so we've read this already once, but just to put this back in the context, God promised Moses that he will cause all of his goodness to pass before him, but there's one problem. No human's able to see all of God's goodness at once and survive. So what I really want to say today is when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness, there is way more goodness in God than any of us individually have experienced or the sum total of all all of us have experienced. There's more. There's more. And it's something so profound about it that the Lord told Moses, no one can survive seeing all of my goodness at once. You couldn't survive it. It's hidden. See, God actually has to hide himself because he's sort of dangerous. He's, he's dangerous to humans if he comes full orbed out because of this, our makeup, our makeup, our makeup can't take it. And so that's a lot of goodness. There's more than we know. God is so much better than any of us have ever experienced. He told Moses if he showed him all of his goodness, it would consume him. I really believe that's what the Lord was saying there. And I've read a couple of commentaries. Some of them I thought were good. Some of them I didn't. But one of them, Matthew Henry said this, a full discovery of the glory of God would overwhelm even Moses himself. The merciful display which is made in Christ Jesus alone can be borne by us. The Lord granted that which would abundantly satisfy. God's goodness is his glory, and he will have us to know him by the glory of his mercy more than by the glory of his majesty. Um, one of the things I thought was that as, as Matthew Henry said this about God shows us his goodness by the abundance of his mercy, that's the picture you begin to, to get um, there in Exodus 33 when um, the Lord says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will put my hand over you and you'll see my back. The Lord would allow Moses only to see his back because his face would be too much for him to bear. Oh, these Old Testament word pictures, when we talk about hidden in the rock, see my back, 
are prophetic references to the crucifixion of Jesus. And, you know, we're coming up on Passover. We're coming up on Easter here in the next um, several weeks. And I believe there's a real emphasis on the crucifixion of Jesus and the value, the value of that. And I don't think it has gripped us as much as God wants what happened to Jesus to really grip us. It should, um, it should do something to us. And I've had an experience I want to talk about here in a minute. Um, but when these verses in Exodus 33 talk about, you can see his back, I'll hide you in the rock. I believe that this text refers to the bruised, bleeding back of Jesus who was, quote, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by whose stripes we're healed. As you find in Isaiah 53, the picture of the crucified Jesus who became sin for us. Think about that, who became sin. The Bible, New Testament tells us that Jesus crucified, he became sin for us, offered himself up for our redemption, our justification, our reconciliation was all part of God's goodness that he revealed to Moses as an ancient prophetic reference to the cross. And I, I just love these Old Testament stories. I, I believe these Old Testament stories are real. I believe Moses was a real person. The New Testament reveals that Moses literally knew Jesus. Moses didn't just know God. He knew who? Jesus. Let's say Moses knew Jesus. You have to use a thing like that. Moses, who did Moses, Moses knew Jesus? And we see this in Luke 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration reveals that Moses and Elijah, this is so amazing. Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He became transfigured before them. And James and John were there with them. Well, Peter, who was it? Peter and John? Yeah, Peter. Anyway, Peter's the one that started blabbing. So in Luke 9, verse 28, it says this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. Well, it's Peter, James, and John. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, listen to this. The appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. You ever heard people say, well, if it ain't in the Bible, I don't want to know nothing, have nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, what about over there in Matthew when the saints of old raised from the dead and walked through the streets of Jerusalem and talked about Jesus? Well, well you know, or the beings, the beings you see in his book of Ezekiel with eyes, and that would scare me to death. Anyway. As Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, this is remarkable, two men talked with him who were who? Moses and Elijah. Verse 31, who appeared in glory 
and spoke. This is what they were talking about. Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so Jesus possesses a greater inner goodness of glory than was normally visible. Jesus' appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration was a foreshadowing of God's goodness that is beyond our everyday experience. And, and we need to look, notice this. When the Lord was speaking with Moses and Elijah, the topic of their conversation was of what Jesus was about to do, about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They were talking about his crucifixion. See, Moses, by type, had already seen that. He saw something. He saw someone. There it is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And having seen whatever he saw was an aspect of the goodness of God. Well, I don't know if you were here several weeks ago. I talked about um, my father passed away when all my kids were little and some of them weren't even born yet. And how that on a certain day, Two of my children got a dr dreams about my dad, which helped them sort of had a feeling about knowing them. And they ha turned out that those both, both of those dreams happened on my father's birthday, which is remarkable. And so I've had some of these kind of experiences, but I found something I wrote. I want to read this morning on November the 27th, 2001. So that is what almost 22 years ago. So here's what I wrote. This morning, which is John Mark's 22nd birthday, I awoke at 539. I began to think about the Lord and his goodness. Now, I wrote this 20, over 20 years ago. I began to think about the Lord and his goodness. One of the things that has happened in my heart is that I began communicating to the Lord how sorry I am for the way he was treated when he came, when he was here. Now, that may sound strange, but everybody has to develop their own devotional life. And one of the things I would do every, this time of year, every year, I would read through the sufferings of Jesus. I would read every gospel and they spit on him. They slapped him. They were mean to him. They beat him. They did all horrible things. And so for some reason, back in 2001, when I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would start thinking about how poorly Jesus, Jesus was treated when he was here. Well, as I do this, I began to feel the presence of the Lord. It gradually becomes a vital time of communication. But this morning, as I was doing this, I was overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And some of this I don't even understand. I'm going to tell you that. But the only way I can communicate what was going on was by saying two things. I can't describe what's going on, and I must have a place. And I was in a place of continual weeping, so much so that I felt like I experienced some kind of deliverance. That's comforting. Your pastor has a demon. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was something profound was going on. That was way back. I don't have one anymore. Part of this time with the Lord involved, now this is what was going on. I saw him beaten with the cat of nine tails, the whip by the Roman soldiers. I recently read a description of the beating that Jesus received at the hand of soldiers. 
And I'm not going to go into all of it, but the scourging of Jesus was of the severest for the soldiers only too gladly vented on any Jew the grudge they bore the nation, and they would doubtless try if they could not force out the confession which his silence had denied to the governor. Besides, he was to be crucified, and the harder the scourging, the less life there would be left to detain them afterwards on guard at the cross. Um, Eusebius, the early church historian, describes a Roman scourging of some martyrs in this way, quote, all around were horrified to see them so torn with the scourges that their very veins were laid bare and the inner muscles and sinews and even their bowels were exposed. That would typical scourging prior to the crucifixion. As I was communing with the Lord, this is what I wrote to, I had a vision of the Lord in his beaten state, but prior to his being nailed to the cross, I saw the Lord tied by his wrist to an iron ring that was either embedded in some kind of a little column or in a wall. Here's what I saw. Every time he was struck, he jumped like some kind of agonized animal, sometimes completely leaving his feet. It's the most humiliating thing I've ever seen in my life. Yet Jesus showed me that. I saw his back. I didn't see 39 stripes. I saw one huge open wound. That's what I saw. That episode affected me deeply for days. And I asked the Lord, why did you show me that? And he said, I just wanted you to know. I just wanted you to know. So when I was considering the Lord's goodness over 20 years ago in my devotional time, he gives me a vision of the, of the depth of his suffering. Now, it's hard, it's hard in some ways to put together the goodness of God and the horrible thing that happened to Jesus until you understand that, how do you put this? Humanity killed him. We killed him, you could actually say. And there's a lot about the redemption and there's a lot about the atonement and there's a lot about everything that happened for us when Jesus died. But, a clear picture of God's goodness is revealed in that even though Jesus was crucified, Jesus was tortured, what were his dying words? Were they words of bitterness? No. Resentment? No. Entitlement? No. The only thing he had to say as his last words were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I was reading um, in the Gospels, in I think Matthew 26 and 
Mark 14. And there's a story about a woman who knew God's goodness. And then there were these other people. So let me read these. I'll make a couple of comments and then we'll, we'll tie this up. Mark 14, verse 3. Actually, it ought to start at verse 1. And verse 1 says that the Jews were quietly planning to kidnap Jesus to kill him. But they didn't want to do it when the people saw it. And then it says... And being, I mean, so that leads out. That's verses 1 and 2 of Mark 14. Somehow I don't have that in my notes here. But verse 3 says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on Jesus' head. But there were some who were indignant, indignant, indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil Wasted. Actually, in other other uh, gospels, you find out these were disciples. Disciples were indignant. People who knew Jesus were indignant. Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Actually, Barclay's translation says they snarled their reproaches at her. So they went went after this woman. But Jesus said, let her alone. Come on, Jesus. Why do you trouble her? She's done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And I want to tell you this, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, What this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. But guess what else is going to be told? The disciples' attitudes. (laughs) you got to be careful. So here's what I see in these verses. I see haters. I see critics. I see the entitled. I see a betrayer. And I saw one who saw his goodness. One, two, three, four, five people. 80% of the people that were there, involved in this story anyway, hadn't seen his goodness to the degree that this one woman had. Haters wanted to kill Jesus, the chief priests, the elders of the people. I, um, I don't get political, but I and you, we all have to recognize people that are leading our nation at times aren't really doing what's best for people. Anybody want to dispute that? They're not. And there are all kinds of reasons why they're not. But the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. Can you imagine why somebody would want to kill Jesus? Who healed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. They want to kill him. They hated him. Matthew 28 tells us why. They handed Jesus over because of envy or jealousy. Envy can blind us. Jealousy feeds hatred. I noticed too among, it's particularly a challenge among artistic people, 
this thing that um, jealousy and all that can really wreak havoc. And it's the devil. Come on. There's the devil. It's the devil that wants to make you envious. When somebody does something really good, you should rejoice. You really should. And here's why. If, if, if you're envious, your ability to do the things you're envious of decreases. If you appreciate what other people do, it jumps on you. And I have learned this the hard way over the years. Often the enemy will try to get me envious or jealous of someone that I later discovered the Lord wanted to use in my life for good. You've got to pay attention. Are you ignorant of his devices? Envy and jealousy is not a good thing. It caused people who've been reading their Bible for hundreds and hundreds of years to kill the very one those scriptures pointed to because they didn't see God's goodness. And then there were the critics. Who were the critics? There were the other disciples. They criticized the generosity of this woman. They scolded her. The Bible says their response was indignant. <laughs> Pumping that on him. We could have given that to the poor. <laughs> Why this waste? What are you wasting? You can't waste anything on Jesus. You can't. Everybody, everybody, many people in my family wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a dentist. And look what I turned out to be. At one point, I was technically, technically, um, a healing evangelist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody loves those guys. Actually, um, I went to, I had do, do, did jury duty in York County one time, and you had to get up and tell people your occupation. <laughs> Lord said, tell them you're a healing evangelist. So I said, I'm a leper. I may as well have said that. <laughs> I said, I'm a healing evangelist, and I was. Technically, I wasn't pastoring then. I was traveling around preaching. I didn't get selected for anything. But they said, why this waste? You can't waste your life on Jesus. Waste is contrasted with value. Jesus to the disciples. Now, these are people that should have known better. And see, that's a problem. Familiarity breeds contempt. We get familiar with the things of God, we and then next thing you know, who are they? Not only did Jesus correct her, he com not correct her, he commended her. And there's a self-righteousness. I would have given it to the poor. They seemed to imply that they had some right to what the woman offered. You see, that's that familiarity. They were so used to seeing Jesus blessed and doing things. When that woman 
poured that oil out on Jesus, those dumb disciples said, well, well, you should have given, we could look what we could have done. And, and Jesus saying, it wasn't yours. It wasn't yours. It was hers. Why do you, why do you, why do you have an opinion? Oh my goodness. Critics. Don't be a, I'm criticizing critics and that's okay. Somebody has to. And here's what Jesus was saying. Boys, you're going to have plenty of time to show me how you help the poor. But you're going to have to help the poor with your stuff, not somebody else's stuff. Mm. Can you imagine that we can be like these disciples who were close to Jesus, still not did not still did not see in him the goodness this woman saw? Can you imagine? scolding someone for loving Jesus so thoroughly that Jesus would rebuke you for being rude and then put it in the Bible. And then people read about you. The only benefit was he didn't name them. Anyway, the entitled. The disciples weren't only critics. They suffered from a sense of entitlement. I've already talked a little bit about that. The entitled act like they have a right to an opinion. Oh, what do you think about so-and-so? It's not my job. Think about them. That's hard to do, right? Because opinions are like armpits. Everybody has several, and they sometimes not. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. The entitled. The gift she gave was hers, not theirs. They weren't entitled to say what it should be done with it. It wasn't theirs. They had no connection to it. They presumed they were entitled to an opinion about what should be done with it. I have seen entitlement destroy more people's faith and relationship with God than it's hard for me to even number. Entitlement produces the critical notion that we have a right to judge and criticize God. What God should do, what God shouldn't do, what he's like, what he's not like. Opinion, opinion, opinion. But you know, at the end of the day, we don't judge God. Can you imagine being a judge of God? We don't judge him. He judges us. He's the only one capable enough, righteous enough, wise enough to do so justly without prejudice or error. Who's, who's, can I step on toes this morning? Anybody? Entitlement is, is a terrible, oh my goodness. We feel like we can just say whatever we want to. Find fault with the Lord. He should have done this. He didn't do that. He should have done the other. Didn't do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cha, cha, cha. It's an illness. It's, it's not, it, okay, it's important to be heard. It's important at times to express your problems, but ultimately expressing your problems does not bring the healing we need. It's seeing the goodness of God. It's seeing what God's really like, not just our self-expression. Then there's the betrayer. He wanted the money, and Jesus 
wouldn't live up to Judas's expectations. That strikes home. Has the Lord ever failed you and your expectations? Well, if he hasn't, just wait. He will. You have to deal with it. It's funny. The Lord will not obey us like we want him to. Well, who was this woman? There's a lot of ideas about. She could have been Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister. She could have been the woman who was delivered of the demons and was a prostitute, but I'm not exactly sure. But here's what I know. She was someone whose forgiveness, when Jesus, when she met Jesus, he did something so wonderful for her, she could never get over it. She knew his goodness, and she could express goodness to him in a way that reverberates right down through the ages. Her story's been told over 2,000 years. God's better than we know. God's better than we know. The whole world wants to tell you who God is. The whole world wants to give you. It says the world doesn't know God. And there's something to that. Do you know you have a literal enemy that the Bible says he's blinded people? Blinded people. Blinded people to the goodness of God. We need to look for his goodness. We need to look for his goodness. Because when we see his goodness... We repent, and repentance doesn't just mean confess sin. It means you turn. If you turn towards something at the same time you're turning away from something. So when you see the goodness of God and you turn toward him, there are aspects of who you are, what you've done, you are really turning away from, and that's a real aspect of repentance. So um, who wants to repent this morning? Who wants to turn to the Lord again this morning? Anybody here? Anybody here that wants to repent? Why don't we stand together and I'll, I'll have Shelly come and, and pray for us. No, you don't have to, have to stand. I said, if you want to, I'm not, 18, 19, 20, 21. I'm not counting. <laughs> Actually, Shelly, why don't you come pray? I grew up thinking repentance meant I was bad. There's a lot of that, right? But no, it's just a better way. It's like God's done all the math. (laughs) And he's like, no, this is the better way. This is the best way. That's all it is. He's saying, that doesn't work, but this does. That's all it means. And he knows that when we repent, 
It's to give us the best life possible. That's all it is. It's good news. So God, we repent. We want the best way for our lives. We want your way. So if there's anything that you want to repent of and you want to turn from to turn towards Jesus, do that right now. Lord, I repent. I repent for thinking I know what's best. You know what's best. You know what's best for my life. And I repent, Lord, and I turn towards you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Help us to look and find your goodness everywhere. Give us eyes to see your goodness everywhere. We repent of entitlement. We repent of criticism. We repent of, of all of that stuff. All, all the stuff that the other people were doing in that scenario. We want to be like the woman who pours out the expensive oil on your feet. Help us to be like that. And I pray that you would go with us this today and this week and help us to just see your goodness everywhere. Help us to see your goodness everywhere. Take away the blinders that the enemy tries to distract us with and give us eyes to see you, your goodness, your light and your love in our lives and in the world. And if anyone needs any prayer or encouragement, we have prayer teams that will be over on the side of the stage. Please, please come. If you're struggling, if you're feeling discouraged or you're feeling any depression or anxiety or if you need healing, come, please. I have gotten breakthroughs. <laughs> from prayer up here. And if you need it, there's no shame at all. And so we just bless you. I bless you, Queen City Church. May this week be full of blessings and goodness and miracles and lots of love from Jesus. Okay? Amen. You may be dismissed. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.